Welcome back to Contractor Evolution. Benji and Igor here at the studio. If you took a survey of contractors right after the implementation of their first CRM or project management tool, many of the responses you'd get would sound something like, that was awful. Or, oh my God, my head nearly exploded. Uh, another one I've heard, that was truly the worst six months of my life for both me and my team, <laughs> or my favorite. I never, for as long as I live, want to go through that again. Now, technology and software are supposed to make your business life simpler and more efficient. So why do so many entrepreneurs talk about the adoption period like veterans talk about the war or mothers talk about childbirth? This whole tech overwhelm thing, especially for contractors, is something we've been wanting to get some answers on for a while now, which is why we're so excited to have Ben Hodson on the show today. Uh, ben is the co-founder and CEO of Jobnimbus which is one of our favorite uh, pieces of co contractor software. You may have heard of it. Um, and we thought, who better to teach us how to implement technology headache-free than the guy who builds it? We're big fans of Ben and Jobnimbus for a couple reasons. First, it's super customizable and it integrates easily with everything. Um, it's relatively simple to implement as well compared to other CRMs and they have a dynamite customer support team that is very hands-on throughout the entire process. It's also a super robust tool that you can grow into for many, many, many years to come. Ben himself is very accomplished too. Jobnimbus is his 10th startup. He's raised tens of millions in venture capital over his lengthy career. And on a totally unrelated note, um, he's an active musician playing in a rock band and a published comic book author too. And despite the resume and the many talents, Ben is incredibly humble and down to earth. And you'll be able to tell immediately he is super switched on. We will definitely have him back on the show in the future. So in today's episode with Ben, we get into a lot of cool stuff. Uh, some of my favorites, we talk about how to think through your own software success criteria and to develop an actual decision-making process and matrix to ensure that you select the right tool in the first place rather than making these all too common impulse buys and then realizing months later that you're on the wrong platform or bought something you don't at all need. Yeah, that sucks. Um, ben also talks about how to foster a adoption amongst your employees and avoid this super common pushback situation from staff that so many entrepreneurs experience when they're trying to integrate technology. Um, we also get Ben's unique perspective on what elements of our trades and construction sector are the most ripe for disruption and what you as a business leader need to be getting ready for. So if you've purchased a CRM and are barely using it, or if you are frustrated by your tech stack or lack thereof, uh, or if you're still managing your business on a spreadsheet, but you're thinking about taking that next leap, this episode is a must listen. So let's get into it with Ben from Jobnimbus. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Hey, Ben, um, welcome to Contractor Evolution. We're really excited to have you. This is going to be a fun one. It's good to see you again digitally. The last time I saw you was at a really fun party you threw in Kabul. <laughs> Thanks for having me. That was a blast. That was awesome. Yep. Good times. So um, I want to dive in with a, what I think is a pretty simple question, um, but it's worth unpacking. 
why is the implementation of CRMs, project management tools, like other software-based systems, um, such a frustrating, slow, perplexing challenge for contractors? I think I'd probably just disagree a little bit with the question in the sense that it's not always frustrating for everybody. And that's, I think, where the real interesting part mm. is. Why does it work for some and not work for mm. others? You hear kind of both sides of the story. It's so funny. Well, well, I'll hear customers say, this was the easiest thing ever, and it took our business to another level, another person. This didn't work for us. We never used it. It's like, okay, guys, you're the exact same type of company in the same industry. What was the difference? It was how they implemented it. was how they approached the whole process. You know, mm -hmm. So, so there's a, a couple different things that you can think about in terms of this. I actually might start first by just talking about price for a second because... Like uh, one of our good competitors, Aculinks, sometimes people say, oh, Aculinks is really expensive. I actually don't think that's true if you get the value out of it. And, and the, when you say expensive, what you're noticing is that business owner is in a consumer mindset. Mm -hmm. And that kind of makes sense. A lot of people don't know how to switch their brains to be business owners. When you're a business owner, you think about ROI not about expense. It actually doesn't really matter what something costs if there's a return on that investment that makes sense. So you're much more thinking about the value you're gonna get out of something and less about the price of it. Now, of course, you have to have the right budget, but it, it sort of starts there. Like, So then the question becomes like, how do you figure out the value of what you're gonna get? Yeah. So I, I got some ideas around that, but before I keep talking, any questions or comments so far? I don't want to just talk over the top um, of you guys. Is there anything about that group? And and I, I like how you frame that question. My one, the one follow up to that would be like: Are there assumptions about these tools, um, their functionality, the implementation process that the group of contractors who do genuinely struggle with this? Are there assumptions about it that they make that kind of get them in that position in the first place? I understand for some people it's easy, but there's a whole host of contractors who are like, I never want to go through an implementation again. That was the worst yep. thing ever. Yeah. So what is it that yep. gets those, that group in trouble, do you think? Yeah, for sure. So I think it starts actually with a, a little bit around understanding what you're even trying to accomplish. So I call it outcomes, basically, but saying, okay, why are you even looking for this software tool in the first place? You clearly have a problem. Mm -hmm. And actually, one of the things that we see a lot with our customers when they first come to us, Job Nimbus does a lot. It is a very broad and powerful system. And they sort of like come to us with a problem saying something like, we have a lot of jobs slipping through the cracks. We're not following up our leads correctly, maybe is one example, or we don't have good visibility on this. Great, that's the core problem that they got them started on the search. And then suddenly, as soon as they see all the other things we can, oh, let's turn this and let's do this and do that. And they actually get overwhelmed because that's not actually the right way to approach any software buying problem. It should always be like, what am I trying to do and focus on getting to value on that. Fix that problem, then work on the next problem. You actually create more problems when you try to do more implementation of things that aren't the core issue of your company. Because everybody has strapped for resources. They don't have enough time to do all the things at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a really interesting point in the importance of understanding your organization. Not We're not even... I'm not even thinking about this from a software perspective, but understanding where your gaps are and where your opportunities are and starting there with that whole search. So I just want to, Benji, take it from here then, because um, there's a very kind of related to, to what I'd love to get into. When it comes to selecting the right tool, 
that's obviously such a critical step, but there's so many options out there. Everyone's claiming to be the best. Like, where do you, yep. wh- what is your advice and what do you do even as a, as a business leader um, when it comes to selecting the right stuff? Like, where do you begin right from this needs analysis? How do you go through that entire process? Um, and how should contractors kind of frame this up in their mind? Because um, there's just so many options out there and there's so many things that you could do with software. Where do you begin? Yeah, it's great. It, honestly, going back to 2012 when we started, 80% of this market was using pen and paper or what I would call primitive digital means wow. to manage their business. Yeah. Excel, whatever, you know, some uh, Google Docs, something like that, right? Uh, Dropbox may be their core system for their company. And so if you think about it in that context and you see all the tools we have today, I mean, it's been a huge shift over the last eight or nine years in having much better tools in this industry. People don't have a context. They haven't been buying this stuff for their business. They don't have the experience of how to do this. I mean, right. me being a software owner, having lots of businesses over the years, I've bought hundreds of thousands of dollars of software for every company. I know how to negotiate these deals. I know how to size them up. I know how to break them down. People don't have that framework to work from. So I I always say the first thing to start with is just a simple matrix. I actually recommend just getting a simple spreadsheet put together that has like a column for, if you're looking at job numbers, that's one, whoever are competitors, you're looking at them. And then you're saying, these are the features that I need or this is the problems I'm trying to solve on my business. And then you kind of score them out. And we use this method called ICE a lot in our company, I-C-E. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call it ICE for short, which is I for impact, C for confidence, and E for easiness. And when you put those three things together, it gives you a really good idea of what your highest priorities are. You can use this for anything in your business. ICE is super powerful as a prioritization tool. So how would you use it? You'd say, okay, I have an idea. One of the things I've got a problem with is lead tracking. I don't have good visibility and if we're working all our leads. Okay, great. If we had a tool to fix that, what would be the impact? Score that one to 10. Mm. The second thing is confidence. How confident are we that the tool we're looking at is actually going to solve this problem for us? That's the C part. And then the E part, easiness. How easy is it going to be for our people to adopt this and use it and that sort of thing? You get a score, 1 to 10, 1 to 10, 1 to 10. You add it up and you get a 23 one place and a 7 another place. Now you know the 23 is what you should be working on. That's the highest one. And it makes it very easy because you get overwhelmed otherwise with all the features that a lot of these tools have. Yeah, and, and this is a very different approach than just going out and looking at like, hey, here are five tools. Let's look through their marketing collateral, through their website, talk to their salespeople and get just sold a bunch of stuff, um, which, you know, these organizations have pretty sophisticated marketing and sales functions. Right? I was going to say that these, these guys yeah. are good. Like yeah. they're re- they've got great collateral. They've got great stuff on YouTube. Their funnels are well built. Their salespeople are exceptionally well yeah. trained and well paid. So if you get if you get kind of lost in the mix, it can be it's not it's a slippery slope it's not hard to make a a bad decision and actually feel really good about it um so i think you know the the key thing that the point that ben's making is to come at this from a totally different angle which is to think about your organization first and your this sounds like a bit of like a decision matrix where you know on one Mm -hmm. that's exactly what it is yeah totally right like on one side you've got your needs analysis and you're listing out your needs it can be 10 of them it could probably i'm sure sometimes like 80 of them from everything yep. to marketing to sales to financial stuff to production management, um, and you're figuring out your needs, and then I guess on the other axis, Ben, is that right? Then you've got these 
that on the other axis, the, you've got the potential you options. You've got the scores for each scores, of the yeah. potential applications you might look at. Totally. I would say less than 1% of people in this market are doing that right now. I'm always shocked when people come to us and, oh, yeah, I, I, I did a demo with these guys. Okay, do you even remember what it was and how do we compare? And, and I'm not necessarily suggesting that you go super, super deep on this. It could just be you pick the one, top two yeah. or top three and go after them. But having some kind of decision criteria is like table stakes and making a software buy decision, especially when it's your core application in the case of Job Nimbus. How, um, like, how important is it as well? And maybe this is one of those criteria that gets considered. Maybe this is the easiness one, but how important is it to understand what the actual implementation process looks like and not just look not just look at like the end product like hey in a perfect world then this is when this is all done my life is amazing like you also need to look at the path in between where you're at right now and and that actual um you know that greener pasture that you envision like how important is it to really scrutinize the steps involved with implementing each piece of software because i assume they're they're not all made equal some are easier than others some have better support Yep. So is that is that a factor that you would encourage people to look at pretty closely? 100%. It, it, it's probably the most important factor, and yet a lot of times it's uh, glanced over because they, they look at the price, they think about some of the cool things it can yeah. do, and then they buy. And, and actually, the most important part of that decision wasn't either of those. It was the implementation. Like, how is this actually going to work in my company? And so I think about like Jobnimus as one example. This goes with a lot of pieces of software. We have some really strong tools in this market now. And you take somebody like a, a Leap to Digital or whatever and all the things you can do with their estimating tool or Sumo Quote, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you look at this from the standpoint of thinking about it in the context of, let's say, an analogy like a weightlifting type analogy, if you were a company and you say, sort of a picture of the strongest man in the world and you see how much load he's pushing up, you're like, oh, that's cool. I want to be the best company in the world at what we're doing. I want to be number one, right? But if you were to go over to that barbell as a new guy in the gym and try to lift it, you would hurt yourself or, <laughs> or possibly worse, right? So it's a, a, that strongest man didn't start there. He moved up. So think about it this way. Like, you have to, you walk into a gym and you see a ton of different equipment there and you're a guy just trying to get strong and you haven't been doing any of this before. It's very uh, overwhelming. If you went and tried to use a bunch of machines, you'd probably hurt yourself and nothing worked out and you'd quit the gym. A lot of people do this. Actually, it's very common. Every January, everybody's quitting gyms, you know, after right. the first two weeks, you know. So instead you think about like, well, what would you do? Well, I would start learning how to use the bar. I'd start learning the basics. I would get... Uh, basic balance down and that sort of thing, then I would start stacking plates. We think of it exactly the same way in software. And this is how you should think about your implementation. It's about getting to value. How can I start building the muscle? Then I'm going to add the next muscle, the next muscle, and this next muscle. After a while, suddenly you notice you're the strongest man in the world, but you did it over time. This is actually how software is implemented. Even our own tools we use ourselves are all implemented this way. We're adding new things every single quarter. We're rolling out new things. As we change as a business, our software changes with us. I love that analogy. It's like, uh, like if you, like I've tried to teach a few friends how to snowboard, for example, and like oh, yeah. I've made the mistake of taking them down like a blue or a black on their first day. They wipe out. <laughs> 
they're screaming at me the whole way home and they're never snowboarding again you know what i mean yeah. i've ruined i've ruined the chance i think the same thing probably applies to this if you go you try to do too much too fast with these systems you can kind of i don't know if traumatize yourself is a strong word but you can leave a really nasty taste and it's you're not super motivated to go give it another whirl um or go, or go deeper into that tool what ben uh, is saying reminds me of your 10 pound dumbbell bicep curls <laughs> I, it's, I like, it's the right I analogy literally did blow out my back last week when we were prepping for this ben i can tell you this now is literally oh, no. i was on like robe access set in bed because i'd done exactly the thing that you just described um, back to okay, the 10 pound dumbbells. I've got a back uh, uh, thing for you that'll change your life. So talk to me afterwards. I'll give you the little hint on that. It's, okay. a, it's a book called um, The Back Mechanic. It'll blow your mind. Now, actually, this back analogy is so perfect that you just brought this up. Because if you think about it, it's like the next step if you're thinking about the gym is to go like, well, okay, what was the thing I'm going to do? Well, my back hurts really bad and lower back. Then that's the muscles to work on first. Whatever's the biggest problem in your body, in your company, that's what to work on. Mm. So, oh, I need to work on my back muscles. Great. Which machines would do that and get to value on that? Start getting relief in your back. Start getting relief in the company. This is how you succeed with software. It's taking it one step at a time and getting to value quickly on the yeah. biggest well, so, problems. Okay, when you say that, it sounds so intuitive. It sounds so obvious. But I, I, because of the feedback we get from members and what I just hear about people's experience with this, that, that can't be the case. Is it your experience that a lot of people kind of come into these broad systems with many tools that can address many pain points and just kind of like imp like implement things arbitrarily? They just pick random things off the shelf rather than like really honing in on their pain and then going from there? It's a little bit like, that. I don't think that they feel like they're arbitrary. For instance, they get in there and they say, okay, the biggest problem I've got to solve right now is getting my collections under control. I need to automate that. I need to get invoicing done. I need to digitize my payment system. That's the big problem in my company. That's why I decided to call. Right. Then as soon as they get in there like, oh, Job Nimbus does estimating tool. Well, we have estimating, yeah, okay, so let's get that switched over. And then, uh, you know, we need a way to be able to do this and that. And oh, I for sure got to have QuickBooks Sync turned on. Why? That's not even your problem right now. And sure, mm. we do that. Right. But actually, it sets you up for failure by getting into all the minutia of that. It's much better to just stay focused on that thing than do ICE again and say, what's the next biggest problem in my company? And, and how can I fix that in the software one step at a time? Mm -hmm. This is something fundamental I've noticed in really good leaders across all kinds of industries, but it's it's absolutely true in, in our contracting uh, space is that like good leaders are, are absolutely able to isolate uh, what is their lowest hanging fruit and their mm -hmm. highest impact bit in right. the organization. Like, yeah, we have, and that's partly the problem in business is you're always got like 40 flashing red lights, but it's yes. really about isolating which one of them is going to, is going to move the needle the most. Um, and, and really honing in on that. So I love that. It's, it's such a good point. And I love that line. You said it a couple of times, get to value quickly. I think with software, it's so easy to get overwhelmed is like this thing can do so many things get to value quickly is, is, is such a good bit. Yeah. I wonder if you have any other just like practical pieces of advice that you would encourage contractors to follow to like optimize the tool and then like to use your term, maximize the ROI. Um, and any other steps you, you would encourage listeners to kind of think about if, if they were going to tackle an implementation? 
Well, I think a lot of times uh, where I see some struggle there is the owner may understand the big problem, may have bought the tool, may be super excited, and then they roll it out to their company and say, okay, guys, we're using this new software. And everybody's like, what? That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> screw that. You know, I have to track my hours every time I get to a job site? Yes. Yeah. And so then they go and they say, uh, the owner comes back and says, hey, my guys won't use it. Well, hold on now. First, of, first thing is, did you get to value? No. Did it make your business better? I mean, I'll tell you a little secret. Whatever you're doing right now in your business is working will stop working at some point. Mm. This is the entire game is to figure out how to adapt as you grow. Okay, and anybody who's staying the same is not growing. I guarantee it. So when you say, oh, my guys wouldn't use it. So what, you're just going back to what you were doing before? Well, yeah, because my guys wouldn't use it. Okay, hold on. How could you get your people to use it? And one of the things I think that's super critical in anything you're doing in your business, start with the why. There's actually a book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why that's a highly recommended read, but it's the concept is easy to understand. People become much more motivated to do something when they know the reason behind it instead of being told what to do. Mm -hmm. So you might go to them and say, hey, we're coming into some problems as a business. We've been getting a lot more jobs, and we're having this and this issue, and we're looking at the best companies that are much bigger than us, and they're all using this tool. And so we want to adapt. Now, it's going to be hard for us because it's change, and change is hard. But we're going to do it because we want to be the best company. We want to go to the next level. We're not going to sit where we are. And then everybody in the company goes, hell yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And sure, it's still tough, but at least you got buy-in from people instead of just telling them, hey, we're going to use this tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this conversation is really interesting on this concept of like endless change. When I think about our, our software implementations over the last couple of years, it's it's so much less about the the technical software stuff as it is a, like like a change management like on the people mm-hmm. side of things and changing the way that that people operate the way that your people do work essentially but what right. what Ben's saying is such a powerful point if you're trying to foster adoption with your team you need to personalize the feature and benefits to mm-hmm. that individual it's not just like hey we want to implement job nimbus because it makes my business better it's we want to implement job nimbus because this specific feature makes it easier for you mr technician mr roofer mr labor mrs office manager mrs project manager whoever this makes your role easier, better, more fun. And here's how, when you start with that, I think the steps that are involved and it is change and it is hard. Those are received not on deaf ears, but with a level of like eagerness and openness that makes implementation possible. Cause that is what you just said about people like, well, I tried it and then six, you know, forget it. They, they won't do it. I hear that like three times a week from people. It's yeah. so, so, so common. Yeah, exactly. And said, so, well, just tell your people to do it. Just force them or fire them. That's not the right way to do it. And then nobody's going to do that anyways. So it's about persuasion. And actually, here's another little secret of Business 101. It's all about persuasion. Everything you do all day is persuading your t- employees, persuading your customers. It's all about getting them to do something that you need them to do. So that's why company mission, company values are so important because it's persuasion to get on board with what we're trying to accomplish, right? It's why it's so important of how you uh, present your sales pitch to the customer. It's persuading them to use you instead of somebody else. So it's all about 
what is in it for that employee. Yeah. yeah. Something I've heard Ben talk about, uh, which which is really neat, I think, when you're diagnosing, like, th- there's some sort of issue in the company, big or small. Like, Ben, you talk about the concept of, like, people or process, right? When, yeah. when you're trying to enact some sort of change or correct some sort of behavior. Um, can you unpack that a little bit just, just for listeners, this, this whole concept of, of people or process? Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up because this was a big aha moment in my business career. Um, Job Nemesis is the 10th company I've run over the years. And I thought I kept layering on new learnings in my first few companies and business became extremely complicated. I thought, oh my gosh, I can't even understand everything because there's so many things to think about. It's like when you are first learning golf and you try to do your swing and you're like, okay, I got 70 things to remember and I remembered 12 and then I still did it wrong. You know, yeah. That's what I felt like every day in my business. And then I started saying, wait, I'm, I'm a big fan of simplicity and essentialism. By the way, another great book, highly recommended is called essentialism. The idea is to take your your top 10% most important things and put 100% into that instead and just say no to everything else. So where is this all going? Well, you think about more reductively about business, it's actually only two things. It's a people and a process. That's your whole business. See how you do something and who's doing it. That's it. That's the entire crux of a business. Okay, well, that's a lot easier to understand because now every problem that we have in the company, I can ask myself, is this a people problem? If it is, then I'm going to go down the route of like, do I have the right person? Are they in the right seat? Do I need to hire here? Is it a process problem? Then I'm going to go down the route of like, let's get a process defined. And is everybody on the same page if we have something defined? It's much easier to understand and fix problems when you think about it as people or process. Mm -hmm. I love that term, reductive thinking. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it, it applies to a lot of stuff we're talking about, including just coming back to this whole software implement, implementation topic. I think, uh, especially at the beginning, it's, it is really about like reducing what are we going to take on if the software can do these 80 things? What are we really reducing this down to in the yeah, first you six need, months? You, you ba- I think what, what he's saying about get to value fast is you need to have an essentialist's mindset when, yeah. you're, when you're adopting yep. this. You, yeah. Literally, what's the 10% most painful thing in my business? Let's fix that first. And then and fix maybe, it well. And fix it well. And yeah. then maybe we can look at you know the, the, the bells and whistles, the advanced features, the cool stuff that's really exciting. Maybe then we can move on to that. But for heaven's sake, like, um, don't, don't get too excited too early and, and forget what you actually like why you did this in the first place that's that's what i think creates the overwhelm yeah it's an interesting word reductive thinking i don't think i've ever heard anyone talk about that before you've been um the other thing a lot of people use it in a negative context but i think it could be very powerful if you start slicing off things Totally. The other thing that, that's apparent to me in this in this conversation, just with Ben's mindset, and he says this is the tenth company that he's built, just with all this, you know, mileage that he's had in businesses and as and as a leader, it's clear that he's got a very like journey esque view to business and leadership, right? Like it's not, it, especially in our in our younger generation, there, there's so much like instant gratification that I think people are, are, mm-hmm. are searching for and they're trying to do things as fully as possible really quickly and just like get it done and move uh, as, as quickly as possible. And, and I think this approach is very much one of like, this is a long-term journey. We're gonna solve our biggest problem today. Then we're gonna work on something in next, next quarter. But two years from now, all of this is gonna change. And we didn't need entirely new processes. It's just, it's a game of like a constant iteration, constant innovation. It's, a, it's is- like a forever game of whack-a-mole. You like put one <laughs> yeah. down 
and then another problem springs up. You Th whack this that is one why, down. This is why I love business so much because there's always something going wrong. It's so interesting. And even if you've done it a bunch, the new, the new problem set every time, like, well, sure, I understand we're having a problem in sales, but you can't just go run a playbook. You have to figure it out in the context of that business. It's so freaking fun. Mm -hmm. But you have to embrace that journey, not be like, oh, I hate that there's always something going wrong. You have to actually love that aspect of it because mm. that's what it's all about. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, so um, interesting. I'm curious, going back to the implementation piece, um, uh, like for, for Job Nimbus specifically, I mean, like it's a tool that, that we know really well. We, we have a lot of our, we prescribe it to a lot of our members if they're looking for a CRM for the first time or they need to make a switch. Um, and I know a little bit about this, but I'd love just to hear your thoughts and perspective on it. Like how does Job Nimbus make implementation easy and fast um, and simple, like what, what have you added to the mix as far as, um, you know, design of the product, customer support, follow-up training and coaching? Like how do you guys make this process as seamless as possible for your new users? Yeah. And it's a really hard problem to solve, to be completely honest, because you've got a giant platform like Job Nimbus that can do so many things people are coming to you for different reasons. Like somebody might have a major problem with their estimating and wanting to switch over. Another person might not even have an issue at all. They've got an estimating platform already in place and they're trying to mm. solve a different problem around payments or whatever. You know, there's, a, there's about 20 different things that people come to us for really commonly, right? So one of the first things that we did is we built out a bunch of templates. So we have, uh, we mostly focus on home exterior contractors. And so we have templates for that. If you're a gutter company, we have a template in JobNimbus that's like, here's how the best gutter companies are working in JobNimbus. And it gives you all your workflows. It gives you the most common automations. It gives you a bunch of email templates ready to go. Out of the box, you can sort of like start using it. Now you may want to tweak some of that stuff, but a lot of customers just like, they won't find the time to be able to go type stuff out, you know, mm -hmm. write a new email or whatever. They just want something to go with right now. Uh, second thing is we've, we tried all kinds of things to automate onboarding and that, it, it in my opinion, doesn't really work in this industry. You need to be hands-on. People expect hand-holding here because they're, they're not as technical. And so we just embrace that. So we actually, as soon as you buy from us, you, be, you get a uh, dedicated onboarder that helps you, guide you through the way. And we think of them as like, um, if you're coming to a gym in the same concept, they're like your personal trainer. Mm -hmm. And so the first day you get in there, you know, oh, I want to go turn this on, turn that. Hey, can we go try that machine out on the floor? <laughs> no, no. First, learn 10 the 10-pound dumbbell. Okay, I'm trying to help you to keep you from getting hurt and I'm going to make you super strong. And then if you follow the trainer and you eat right and you do the things that they're recommending, you suddenly are the best person in the gym. Same thing with Job Nimbus. That, that onboarder is helping you through each mm -hmm. step. So there's multiple onboarding sessions one-on-one -on -one where you get time to yeah. get help and get set up. And then we have a whole separate team called our customer success team that reaches out periodically to you to check in to see how you're doing. We even have some tools that monitor how you're using the system. So we see that you're not using a feature that we know you talked about needing. We're going to go reach out to you and say, hey, you're not getting value on the thing you came to us. Let's work with you, help you get rebooted, train your team, that type of thing. So it's very mm -hmm. hands-on. So you've got fairly large teams between the onboarders, like the, yes. the, the the private gym guys, and and customer success. You've got, yeah, there's a lot of people that are actually there to to support business owners. 
Yeah, we have quite a big staff. Yep. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. It, yeah, it just comes back to, to this this key point again. I just want to reiterate it. Um, I, I see it everywhere. All of this is way more of a game of people change, like people and, and process change, than it is about anything technical or, or, or software related. That's why a lot of people buy subscriptions, and it's um, they think. I, I would. I shouldn't say a lot. I should say some contractors, maybe more junior, would think it's a magic pill. They'll be like, yeah. "I will get this piece of tech, and it will solve the bad team I have, the corrosive culture, the lack of an ideal client, like roughed out, our lack of marketing strategy. It's going to fix all this stuff because I did this demo, and it's so cool. It's like no, like it's just it's going to." It's going to do nothing. If anything, it might make those problems worse. So totally. it is It is like you do have to have a lot of these fundamentals in place. And then and then a, a, an amazing tool like Jobnimus can can help you take it to the next level. But it isn't, it isn't it's a, a starting bullet. point. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's absolutely the starting point. I, I give you a fun example. Uh, last night I was at this art show and this dude is walking around hobbling with his giant knee brace. Like he tore his ACL, which I've, I've oh. done skiing before. And, you know, he's got the huge brace and he's hobbling around. And so I chatted with him. I was like, oh, what's happening, man? And, uh, and he's telling me about it. And he's like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm having surgery in three weeks. I'm finally going to just get this done. Those are his words. Like, yeah. I'm just going to get this. <laughs> done and i'm like oh dude this is where it uh -oh. begins <laughs> this is your your one it's like a year of recovery after yeah. an acl reconstruction yep. and, and i remember I, I was like i remember the surgeon telling me he's like you just signed up for a 400 hour commitment uh like after the surgery right it's like an hour a day every day for a year but anyway it's the same kind of thing right like once you we talked about uh, when you're doing it properly, Ben talked about the amount of work that goes on to just like your needs analysis and your selection. But even when you do select the right platform, Job Nimbus or otherwise, that's when the work really begins. Oh yeah, right. Um, to to get to get it set up properly. So yeah, very very journey esque. Um, yeah, it's cool. Hey Ben, I wanted to. Um I got just like a fun question because I'm just interested in your perspective on this, and I and I hope listeners are. I'm, I'm sure they will be as well. Like. As, as a, a CEO, kind of a visionary leader, you're at the helm of a fairly large organization. It's grown a lot over the last couple of years. Um, you are uniquely positioned to have, um, to have an angle on this question, which is from your point of view, what aspects of trades and construction do you think are the most ripe for disruption as a result of technology and softwares and, and tools like this? The first thing I think about, if you think about our industry in general, we're kind of lagging technology-wise about 15 years behind a lot of other markets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all and, right. And, and so you might say, well, one way we might predict the future is to look at other markets and see what they're doing. One thing that I think is very common now is we're seeing more and more people doing less interaction directly with a sales rep and much more buying on their own. Let's give an example of this, like car dealership is the perfect example. 15 years ago, everybody would have gone into a dealership and talked to a sales rep and done the dance there. And some were better than others, but most people generally didn't like that experience. Mm -hmm. and so you think about like the average customer homeowner right now dealing with let's say a roofing contractor and the sales experience there and maybe getting multiple people to talk to them. Let's say you're in a storm area, you might get your door knocked 10 times in two weeks after a storm, mm -hmm. right? And how are you gonna figure that out? Nobody is looking forward to that experience, right? Mm -hmm. So what more likely you'll see happen is people moving more toward the web and saying, 
Uh, they'll use a, a keyword that is the most common keyword right now for local searches in Google. It's called best. <laughs> they'll say <laughs> best roofer in you know Lehigh, Utah, or whatever it is. And then they will just accept that Google knows who best is. <laughs> By the way, if you want to know how Google decides that, it's all based on their Google reviews. So that should tell you where you should be spending a lot of your time as a company on reviews, Google. Because right, most people are searching for you there. Make sure that you're one of the quote unquote best. And then mm. make sure you're targeting those locations. So they, they find you. And then they're instead of going and booking an appointment, they're going to want to, uh, and I think this is where the industry is going to go. They're going to want to have an experience where they can go and say, well, I've got this problem. Well, here, we can help you here. What kind of, let's say you need a re-roof. What kind of roof do you want? Well, I don't know. Well, let me give you some recommendations. Here's why you might choose a good, better, and best option. Here's, here's the warranties around that. And you go through this whole flow just like the way you buy a car now. What options do you want? How do you want? And then they crew comes out and just puts it on. You didn't even have to deal with a sales rep. Now, I'm sure there's some sales rep on here not liking what I'm saying. Right. I just think the future is more likely to be that than it is to stay the way it is right now. That's one example. I think that's a very, very compelling take on that. And I've sort of felt the same way for a while. Like the, and I've, I'm saying this as someone who has done a lot of in-home sales where you're, mm -hmm. you're doing setup calls on yeah. the phone. You're at, you're, you know, Hey, can we look at your calendar? Can I come by on a Thursday afternoon or a get Saturday morning? Table. Let's, yeah. I really need to look at the project and, and, and you sort of, you know, you use these lines to essentially get yourself in the door but really what you want to do is an opportunity to stand in front of this person and, and hopefully sell them something um and i you know you you hear that a lot too with with roofing sales people um construction sales people estimators i i, I just i just got to get like in front of the homeowner we got to sit down at the table um and as tried and tested a method as that is, I, I could very well see a future here in the next 10 years where people are doing, they're sending the measurements through, you know, applications which already exists, like something as yep. simple as FaceTime or Google Maps could do it, but then you've got, you know, uh, Hover and, and Leap and Eagle View and all these other products yep. that make like the measuring easier. You have um, you have incredibly cool like proposal building software is like Sumo Quote. This stuff is, is delivered through email. It's communicated through Loom. It's signed using DocuSign and literally like you're doing this at a, at a push of a button and the crew shows up a couple weeks later. I, I think that that entire buying process, that entire buyer's journey um, is probably, I don't know how long, but at some point in the future, going to change a lot. Yeah, and I think we're working on tools towards that. So are several of our partners. It, it, I think it's a, a somewhat inevitable that it will at least move more that way. Yeah, I think the homeowner's like expectation of the value of their time is all is also changed. This this society just seems to want to do more and more and more. And the idea of giving up like a Saturday afternoon to be home for like a siding estimate or roofing estimate, or not to mention like two or three of them is is just not in the cards or is is, is there less so yeah. over time. Um, ben, just a question: Is there we're talking about like this disruptive nature of technology? Is there anything that you see coming down the road when it comes to the way that leaders Leaders in a, in a contracting business are going to interact with their staff, like with their with their teams, and the way that they lead their people, whether it's their management teams or like in field. How is technology moving and changing in that space? Yeah, we're really in the infancy on this right now. There, there's a few people doing some interesting stuff. Podium, we've got some cool stuff we're doing as well with them and on our own. Uh, but 
communication tools are, are super primitive right now. Everybody's just text messaging each other on their phones and there's no tracking or anything like that. I've seen a couple of really innovative companies try to use Slack. The problem uh, with Slack in this industry is it's really built much more for software companies and mm -hmm, so yeah. it doesn't quite work in the job context. You really want like a Slack channel per job and it doesn't do that well. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely see some uh, some more communication tools coming. We've got some exciting announcements later this year, actually some stuff that's, I think, going to be earth-shattering for this industry coming out. Awesome. Um, but but another part on leadership that I think is interesting, um, if you look at the solar industry, it was kind of like home exteriors was. And I guess you could group solar into home exteriors, but let's say roofing, siding, gutters, windows and doors, that type of stuff. It's kind of like solar was about 15 years ago. A lot of different companies, everybody was getting into the game. What happened there? Well, what happened was once the money started rolling, which is definitely happening in the roofing sector yeah. right now, uh, then really sophisticated business people, sometimes software people, said, ooh, and they go where the money is, and they started moving into solar. And in fact, in fact most solar companies today that are really successful are, are run by people that aren't contractors. They're mm -hmm. business people for, first and foremost. Well, they're very technically savvy. I will just say they're dangerous to the average company because either they will take you out or they will buy you. So you'll see a lot of consolidation in this market as other uh -huh. companies are getting bought. And then the companies that will survive are the ones that get much more sophisticated. So if whatever you're doing again right now is probably not going to work because I see a lot more sophisticated people moving into this market right now. And that spells trouble for people that aren't leveling up every day in their business. I've noticed the mm -hmm. exact same thing with solar. There's a, a, a consolidation is the right word. There are these Goliath enterprises yeah. in the space which don't exist in landscaping or remodeling or plumbing, like not even close. Like these are many, many times magnitude larger. And to use an, an analogy you used earlier, it's like, hey, to predict the future, look at what's going on in other industries. You know, this, if solar could be like an early adopter, roofing's a little bit behind it. And then the rest of trades and construction is probably gonna follow in the next little bit too. So I think it's very, yeah. very interesting when you say, you know, really sophisticated business people go where the money goes. I think that's, that's uh, I think the secret's out on that one. Yeah, the secret's out that there's, there's, there's a lot of money in this space. Yeah. And I think the interesting observation here is just how, like what a varying degree of excellence there is in business and in leadership in this industry, right? Like we, we yep. talked about this previously, that you have, you know, everyone has access to the same number of hours in a day, in a week, mm -hmm. right? And, and some people in this industry with their, you know, let's say 168 usable hours in a week do extraordinary things and others are doing things the same way that they've been doing them like 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just so interesting to observe the difference. And the question I think to ask yourself is like, who do you want to be and where where do you want to be on this curve? Because that's really going to dictate where where you're going to end up like 100%. five, 10 years from now. Yeah. yeah. What's the cost of doing nothing right now? That's really yeah. what I want people to be thinking about. What's it's the expensive. cost of doing nothing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah 100%. Hey, Ben, I'm going to let's um let's close on this question. It's another very open ended one. But, um, you know, you're a serial entrepreneur, as you say. Job Nimbus is your your tenth project. Um, you you've been at this a while, and I want to know like what lessons about business and leadership that you've picked up over the years that are your favorite. Another way to frame this would be: What do you know now that you wish you knew then? Yeah. First one I want to just mention is culture and values because my first couple of companies. 
you know, you get a little bit of that. I come from, I grew up in the Seattle area. I went to the University of Washington. I actually got a business degree and then I got a second degree in computer science. And they teach you a little bit about culture and values, but it's mostly about just like how to be a good middle manager at a company. That's kind of what business degree is, you know. Yeah. It doesn't really teach you how to be an entrepreneur. I mean, it's a nice jumping off point, but it's most of the things I've learned, I learned the hard way, like actually doing it. And I thought, man, culture and values, that's a joke. Who cares? Or maybe my young self was like, a cool culture is a company that has an Xbox. Beanbags. And a lot of, yeah, or beanbag. You know, like, <laughs> so, so, like, not understanding. I, I actually believe today that culture is how people talk about the company when they're not there. <laughs> that's your culture. <laughs> whatever they're willing to say to their spouse or whatever, that's what the real culture is. Um and so you asked her, like, why? I've completely changed my mindset. It used to be all about execution. Just get it done. It, that stuff's a waste of time. Just, it's all about execution. I actually sense that a lot in this industry. I meet a lot of people are just total ballers, just getting stuff done all the time oh, yeah. to doers, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is that if you try to grow your business, it doesn't scale past a few people with the execution mentality. It's like getting all these people, even if you have 10 employees, how do you, they all have their own agendas in life, their own problems. How do you get them all to work on the company mission, the thing that you need to do? Well, mm -hmm. it's culture and values. That's how you do it. It's the mission of the company. And it must be something beyond we're trying to make money. So it might be some way you're trying to give back in the community. It might be something that you're doing around trying to create more jobs or become the number one in your market segment or really help homeowners in a certain way. But people are looking for meaning. That's another way you can hold on to your employees is to make sure you have meaning in your work, not just a job or not just going after money because that's hollow. You're so saying without that's one that, thing I really wish I would have known. Go ahead. I just was going to say you're, you're saying that without that really clear um, – culture and, and and mission and values like you're you're creating a very real ceiling for your business there's a point at there's a point yeah. uh past which you simply cannot scale and you may not realize it until you kind of start bumping up against it but but w without without a clear vision without clear values like there's um there's there's like you said a handful of employees is probably all that you can keep glued together yeah, you'll, it'll exhibit itself in uh, certain ways. You'll be saying, I can't hire anybody. This market's way too hard. It's impossible. Or, man, I'm losing a lot of my people. These guys suck. They uh, Or my people weren't doing what I told them to. I, nobody knows what they're doing here. They're like a bunch of idiots that I got working for me. That's sort of the mentality. But what's really happening is you didn't actually set any target and you didn't bring the company together around culture and values. You didn't hire and fire off of values either. I love that. Um, and we do hear that a lot. Was I, I kind of interrupted you there. Was there a second bit of wisdom you wanted to share? Well, I think I, I think a lot about people because really that's your biggest asset. Uh, your you process is one thing, but if you don't have the people right, nothing works, right? It's everything. The team is everything. So, uh, in fact, this is a fun little trivia for you. You guys have any idea where the first use of HR or human resources was in, in history? No. Like, I'm going to guess a coal mine. You're going to be very disturbed. The book 1984 by George Orwell is the first coined term of HR or human resources, where the concept that people are machines to be discarded. And, and somehow corporate America 
disturbingly adopted that as the term. So HR wasn't used as a term in like the 60s and 70s and stuff? Interesting. <laughs> well, the book by 1984 by George Orwell was actually written much before Oh, I see. Okay, so, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. But, that, but that's yeah. where the term came from. That is creepy. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So when you think about people, one thing I did is encourage everybody who's listening to me, stop using the word HR and mm-hmm. we use a word called people experience here. That's the name of our HR team. It's about the experience of real people in your organization. And you think about your people differently when you don't think about them as resources, right? Yeah. You think about them as real people. How do I help persuade them? How do I help motivate them? How do I help them achieve the things in their life they need to that also work for the company? And you're always trying to look for that balance. That's how you really run a great business. So when I think about things that I wish I would have known, like around people, gosh darn it, how many times did I take my top performer, the per, like, let's say my number one sales guy, just rocking it, like bringing in 40% of the total take every month, you know? And then I say, oh, we're growing enough, we need a manager. Well, let's take our top performer and make him a manager. Okay, now you've got your top performers gone, so you're not hitting the numbers anymore, and you got a sucky manager, because most of the people that are that way as a great individual contributor are not a great manager. Now, there might be the cases where somebody really wants to be a manager, but then did they get training? Did they even know what they're doing? It was a total disaster for the company. So I highly recommend people as they're looking, oh, this is my top producing uh, crew or whatever, just pay them more to stay doing what they're doing that's great for the company and give them a path to move up in the place they're in, mm-hmm. not just move Because most people are like, oh, well, the only way I can make more money is go management. They don't want to be a manager. They're not good at it. The company doesn't need it. It's a disaster. So instead, look at what the person's truly good at and enhance that. I wish I would have known that from day one. I made that mistake so many times. Mm-hmm. Keep people in their craft. Yeah. yeah, there's a reason that a lot of the the best um, like the best athletes, like let's say the best football players, the best hockey players, the best basketball players, make not really coach. lousy coaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's such it's, a good point, uh, and and kind of counterintuitive too. I don't think that yes. it's, it's not it's not abundantly obvious when you think about it. You sort of make some assumptions. Well, people need to go from this step to this step. It's like, no, you can actually just have them go deeper and do more of the thing that they're already excellent at, and create a career path that way. So I, I love that point. Um, we're nearly out of time here, Ben. I, I want to um, I want to just let listeners know where they can find out a little bit more about you and a little bit more about Job Nimbus. If people want to check you out, where should they go? Yeah, I appreciate that. So our company mission, talking about missions, is to make contractors heroes. Three words, super easy to understand, easy to remember. We want our customers to be the heroes of their businesses, to their customers, to their families. We want them to have more family time, all that type of thing. And so to that point, We think of ourselves as less of just, we're just a software company and think of us more about how can we help them. So we run all these events and everything just to help people with their business. Doesn't even talk about the software even. Just like, here's how to be a better owner. Here's how to do this better. I massively care about this problem. And to that point, I have a channel on YouTube uh, called the Building Business Channel. Uh, You can find it under Job Nimbus on YouTube. Just search Job Nimbus. You'll see our channel there. And I put out new content every week. It's usually like a 15-minute interview with somebody who's a leader in the industry about a specific topic. This is a thing you as an owner should be thinking about and working on in the business. And here's some key things you can do right now to take away. I'd start there. I really want to help everybody that's listening here to have the best success that they can. 
I love that. Amazing. We will we will include a link in the show notes so that people can find that easily. Um, ben, you're a busy guy. We really appreciate you carving out the time to speak with us today. This is a lot of fun for us, and I'm sure our listeners are going to love it. So thank you. We'll see you soon. Ben, thanks so much. Great. This is fantastic, Ben. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.